those are uh, will give you a feeling of peace in the moment, but they won't make you a person of peace long lasting. And I just think that's such a like, hey, you got what you wanted in that moment, just a fleeting escape, but it's not going to make you a person of peace, more of a person of, of escape. That is Steve Carter, the author of the new book, The Thing Beneath the Thing. On the podcast, we help you navigate faith in the modern world, and far too many of us in our world do not ever go underneath the surface to ask really what's motivating us. So Steve is helping each and every one of us do something that we all need to learn how to do a little bit better in our modern world. Now, uh, before we get back to Steve, two things. First of all, today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at the Mission Resource Network. You, talking to you, have a vital role in God's mission. MRN, Mission Resource Network, helps you fulfill it meaningfully. Now, I've known these folks for many years. They know you have a burning desire to fulfill your calling, and they have some of the top people in the field of missions to help you do that. So as you work to share the hope of Jesus with a broken world, the folks at MRN can help you overcome your most challenging mission problems, and that isn't it. One of the things that I really appreciate about them is their expertise in the field of missionary care. So not only can they help you, but if you're associated with a missionary, missionary uh, MRN can help you out. They know how to help you take care of the missionaries you send out as well as the families they leave behind. So do yourself, your missionaries, your missions committees a favor. Reach out to MRN today at mrnet.org and get a free article, Avoiding the Missions Black Hole, by emailing missions at mrnet.org. That is missions at mrnet.org. So go check them out. Now, one other thing I want you to check out is uh, when this podcast comes out, I believe it is on August 9th. And I know each and every one of you listen to the podcast as soon as it comes out. Uh, What I want you to do, today is the last day that you can get uh, my newest book, Befriending Your Monsters, on sale for $1.99. Now, that is the electronic copy. I encourage you, get a copy of it. It would support the podcast. It would uh, would be not only good for you, it's good for everyone. So if you need to learn how to befriend your monsters, you can do that for a very economical price for $1.99 on Amazon today. And if you want like uh, like a paper copy, um, they have those there too. So, um, anyway, check it out. It's $1.99. It's a great investment. I spent a lot of time writing the book, so I think you should get it. Anyway, uh, without further ado, let's get back to it. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have on the podcast for the first time joining us from the great state of California, Mr. Steve Carter. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm good. I, I can't believe it's been this long, and uh, you're just now following the podcast. So thank you. for uh, th- Thanks for making this happen. I mean, I, I just feel like for so many years, people will say, do you know Luke? Luke. I mean, he's like one of the funniest guys. Luke, he's so smart. He's such a great teacher, like incredible, like great podcast. And I'm like, I, Keep I, going. I don't know him. I don't Keep know going. him. He, he, he and I have not been able to cross paths, but I've just – I feel like uh, – there's a lot of fans of you out there in the wild, and I've met a well, lot of them. Well, uh, I am a fan of yours, so much so that I have changed my attire for today. I usually wear a black shirt every day, but today, in honor of your beloved Wolverines, I have decided to rep my Michigan Wolverine basketball jersey circa like 1998, I think probably, 97. And so you were one of the few guests that I've actually changed my attire for. The other one, I once put a coat on for Tom Wright the first time I met him, like 
seven years ago, <laughs> and for you, I put a basketball jersey on. So you, you too, have a lot of respect uh, in, in my book. Wow. I mean, seriously, when the, the video of you came and you were kind of flexing the 98 Mo Taylor jersey, I was just like, this is going to be a good day. This is a good day. Yep. So you look good, man. Yeah. I'm prepared for this. I don't know if you're going to get any other interviews that are going to, uh, you know, support you the way I am. So I just want that to be included. <laughs> Obviously, this is an audio podcast, so people can't see it. But I want you to let the listeners know, just like, I, like I've got your back, oh. and you can see that because of what's where what I'm wearing. Dude, I, I already took a picture, so it's going. It's going to go on the, <laughs> the interwebs because I just want proof. Good. I want proof. I want the world to know this is how dedicated yes. you are. Yes, for sure. Now, obviously, as a kid, I was growing up in Philadelphia when the Fab Five came out. It was life-changing for me. Uh, you know, those guys will always have a special place in my heart, especially because one of the guys is from Texas. Like, so there's there's a Texas connection there. Jimmy King. Yep. He's a Dallas. Is he Dallas? Is yeah, that right? yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Ray, Jimmy, Jalen, Chris, and Juwan. Fantastic. Those are the five. Yes. Yeah, we got That's it. it. We That's got it. That's it. There it is. Okay, here's, there a, here's an interesting story. Mitch Album, uh, he wrote the book Fab Five on the Five Freshmen. I read this book in like sixth grade. So okay. uh, when I was born, I was given the name Stephen Charles Bourne. Bourne was my uh, biological father's name. Charles was his, his first name. And Jalen Rose never met his dad. The first time his dad ever saw him uh, play basketball. He knew he had a son out there from, and he knew this son played basketball and he was a legend in Detroit and he'd heard rumors he was playing in college. And the guy, Jalen looks like his dad plays like his dad, lanky, just like, and he's at a YMCA working out during the first NCAA tournament when the fab five are playing. And some guy walks up and goes, is that your son? And he goes, I think so. Now I read that like in sixth grade. And wow. I was a, I was a huge soccer player and huge basketball player, but as like a four foot nine white kid, I was like, who hadn't seen his dad, his biological father. Kids are so perceptive; they're just crappy interpreters of reality. I read that and was like, I got a hoop. I'm gonna play basketball, and that's how Chuck's gonna find me. And so, like every time I see oh. Jalen, I I think about how just that one paragraph from Mitch album, like really altered the course. I, like, I, I played basketball in high school. I walked on in college. And it wasn't until like, my sophomore year of college, like playing but not really. I got free shoes and sat the bench. But like at Cal State Fullerton and realizing we're not making the tournament. Chuck's not watching us play. What am I doing this for? But like you play it all the way back and you're like, there's all of these motivators that in our subconscious that sometimes we don't even know, but something stuck in sixth grade from a paragraph about the fab five. Sorry. Wow. We just went there. I haven't really ever talked about that. No, much, but that's that, just, that's, that's the heart. That's of it. deep. Like my connection to the fab five was I wore black socks. Oh, um, yes. I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't connect this to like my, my family stuff like you did. <laughs> so I'm saying like, I like them, but it didn't have the same effect that you'd. Okay. So I like the people want to know the rest of the story. Like did Chuck, did you, did you ever, no. So I, my mom had remarried and to who I consider my father, my dad, he adopted me, mm-hmm. got a new middle name, new last name. Um, my parents end up splitting up on my wedding night, which, Hey, I don't recommend that. Just don't, don't <laughs> recommend that, bro. Okay. So, yeah. um, so 
But this actually gave me kind of the sense of, all right, maybe I should go try and find my biological father. We hire a private investigator. We find out he lives in upstate New York. And we buy tickets to go to Boston. We're going to go to Red Sox, Fenway. It's the year that they win the World Series when they're down against the Yankees, 2004, and then drive up to upstate New York. And I'm just going to show up at Chuck's address. But two days before, we find out that um, the private investigator calls and says that he died of a massive heart attack two years earlier. And so wow. I'm like, all right, well, I'll still show up. Maybe maybe he his widow will tell me something about Chuck. Um, I knock on the door. I can tell someone's in there, but nobody answers. And then I go to a cemetery in Afton, New York, and I walk around with a video camera, and I come across a tombstone that says Charles Franklin Bourne, and that's the – the first time I can remember meeting my father and just spent there, spent like 20 minutes there just by myself. And, and then fast forward like six years, um, my biological father's widow had a daughter who was probably 10 years older than me that I guess when I was a little kid, she liked when I came over cause she could play mom and I was like her little kid. So yeah. she, she looked me up, I guess on Facebook and saw a picture of me and was like, holy cow, he looks like Chuck. And then I had a sample of a teaching and she heard a teaching, sent it to her mom. And then her mom wrote an email saying, hey, I, this is crazy. You look like your biological father. You sound like him. And listening to you teach has been helpful in my grieving process. And so we started to exchange some emails. And then last year, um, or pre-COVID, like a couple of months pre-COVID, I went to Providence and Rhode Island and I met her and got to hear all these stories about Chuck. So it's kind of a wild, long, bizarre, still unfolding story, but, um, that's, wow. that's it, man. Wow. That's crazy. And the, the, the guy who's, who adopted you, your father passed away a couple years ago. Is that he right? Did. Two, three? Yeah. So two years ago he passed away. He, he'd been fighting leukemia for about 12 years. And I should say like he had leukemia then had a bone marrow transplant. So he was a cancer survivor transplant patient for 10 years, but just having to deal with the the complications with that. And then he uh, basically took over his lungs and he, he, and he just uh, suffered and and passed. Uh, And it was your mom recent. Yeah. Yeah. That that was one of the ways I think we connected was like, I think we both were like, oh, solidarity of losing uh, someone who meant the world to us. Yeah, exactly. Because it's right around the same time, yep. and uh, yeah, that was that was the connection point for me. Is uh, th- there's something about l- losing someone and someone else knowing like that pain and that experience uh, that brings you a connection to them? And uh, yeah, but I, I I can't imagine like the uh, the situation with Chuck, like getting there, he had, had a heart attack, um, connecting to your sister, half sister. Have you, have you stayed in contact no, with her? No, I ne- actually never connected with her. She just forwarded it on to her mom, and I just connected with her uh, with my dad's widow. So I've never I've never reconnected with. Which now is like hey, I probably should, but like I just I've been huh. kind of like curious just to get to know. Hey, what was Chuck like? And um, and so she gave me a whole bunch of pictures, told me a whole bunch of stories. So uh, it was helpful to see a little a little yeah. glimpse. So How, does that affect the way that you parent? Um. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, I think, um, I think part of being a three on the Enneagram um, and driven by achievement and performance, like underneath that, I think has been this probably in deep within 
this fear that someone might leave. Um, and so I think the, the sense of trying to, um, trying to like stay present, um, and not bail, I think like, or to stay present and actually like choose intimacy. Um, and I didn't, I didn't necessarily have that, you know, um, from the very, very jump, um, I think when my mom remarried, it was a really, really great guy. And but he, I, I'd say, he, I loved him. And towards the end of our life, it became like one of my best friends, strongest relationships. There was so much healing. But as a kid, I, I felt like uh, I got there's like three dads, like someone who was really wise, something, someone who was really funny, or someone who was really angry. And so I learned how to read a room because I could read my read my dad. And so I think some somewhat there's a great book called the drama of the gifted child and i think i learned how to meet the needs of my parents and knew what like my parents needed i didn't necessarily know how to name my desires so now as a parent stepping in it's this unique spot of um how to stay present how to be healthy how to not have them like be able to name what dad's feeling but how can i call out so you're constantly going i didn't get this but I'm having to like vulnerably try and play this out in a healthy new way, wow. which feels um, feels just very tender a lot of the times. And then there's moments where I'm like, oh, Joel, my dad, or um, he really did do this. And that was a real gift. And that's really helped me. So it's, it's really been, I think, more tender and like humble ground um, than I usually like to feel comfortable because as a three, I want to win. And so what I'll do yeah. what I can win at. Um, and this feels... It's just scary and human, you know? Yeah. You, you write about in the book uh, a connection that you have with your wife where for once, like, there was someone who had access, like, into, like, vulnerable parts of you that up until then, like, you've been able to, like, keep everyone away. But something about, like, the connection you have with your wife that enabled you to, to deal, like, to, I mean, to have a level of honesty that you didn't have before when when you experienced that did did it seem that um like there was something that in your like your child like that you didn't feel like you were able to do that with your parents that y- your wife was able to step into a, a a level of honesty that maybe you didn't feel before yeah i just didn't know how to access that i think you know and and she somehow figured out like the passcode like she just was hmm. so safe she was just so like um with her questions. So just not interrogating, but just really inviting. And I found myself just like almost oversharing to a place where I was like, I don't think I've told anybody this before. And I walked away just going, I can't believe I said this. I can't believe she got access. Like I had spent Fort Knox many years, like guarding this part of my heart. And she just knew how to see the real me and keep gently and kindly pressing in a way that, um, I don't know, I was, I surrendered. And I think that scared the crap out of me. Um, and I was like, this is actually really, really safe and beautiful. But that's not what I had grown up with because someone was drawing out my desires and I was so good at going, well, dude, what does Luke need? 
you know, what, what is, what does Sarah need? What is, what does Mike mm-hmm. need? Um, and she was able to help me identify really what was going on within. How old were you when that's happening? I am 20. You're 20. Yeah. Wow. And obviously you didn't have the Enneagram and you didn't have the language for that at that point. Nope. Not at all. Not at all. So, so what did you, so what did you think it was, was going on? Like as obviously in hindsight, you can look back a couple decades and like, okay, I'm finally dealing with this stuff that before, but at the time, did it just feel like, Hey, I'm just disoriented and this seems weird or I'm losing it or like what, what, what was going on I f- in your head? I think I felt a mixture of feelings. One. And again, I, I remember this. I was in my dorm room. Uh, I was in her dorm room. Um, and I'm walking back to our apartment that's off campus and I'm, I'm like, damn, I just kept saying, damn, damn, <laughs> damn. Like I, damn, like I just let somebody in, like she saw parts of me and I was like, could she really be as good as I think she is? Huh. Like, could she be safe? Like, and I think so much, um, there's been parts of my story that I think some of that innocence got robbed. So to to then see someone be so tender with that part um, was just like wild for me. Like I I I was both like very intrigued and then scared out of my mind. Yeah, when you're just sit, sitting there, just going, "Damn, damn, damn!" Is it like you you're defeated? Like, oh my goodness, someone beat beat the beat my defense and got behind me. It, um. I think it was more like this could backfire. Like damn, oh, okay. like this, like, like you, this, this, this was this was stupid. Like you, hmm. you, this was this was stupid. Like how how, and then so so I think it starts in that like shame of like how could you? What were you thinking? This is stupid, and and then I think it gets to that like, dude, you, the coverage broke down, <laughs> and you just yeah. let them. And then you go, well, maybe, maybe it was, maybe they did score. Maybe we did score. Maybe this is the right, this is actually points maybe for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, maybe you're not losing. Yeah, this is winning. Exactly. Exactly. So. Oh, okay. So we've been talking for all of like 20 minutes in their friendship. Uh, and like, you're talking about a lot of like very intimate stuff, obviously like the childhood stuff, like you jump right there. And so obviously reading the book, I see this and hearing you teaching, like there's a lot of vulnerability of like you being able to uh, let those of us on the outside experience some of this that 20 year old Steve's probably going like, there's no way this is ever happening. Right. Yep. And so, so what happened over these like 20 years to let you go, okay, this is just a normal part of how I connect with people, how I like share my gift of teaching with people. H- how did you get there? Yeah. Great question. I, I honestly, it goes back to Grand Rapids. You know, I, I grew up Southern California, you know, 10 minutes from the water. I mean, I think image was kind of the air that we breathed. And then I moved to Grand Rapids and right in 99, my parents had come to faith. We moved there and a little church is just beginning in a homeschool building, which is just hilarious that it's a, it's got a building and it's a homeschool. Um, it just called a school, but, uh, this church begins and, um, called Mars Hill. And I, I just found myself like taken by it. And there were these mm-hmm. directions that they kept talking about uh, because someone asked Rob one day, like, 
hey, which direction are you taking the church? And he goes, oh, I'm taking them in many directions. And it freaked the person out. And then he just <laughs> rattled off. He's like, I'm taking them backwards. You know, we're studying the ancient Jewish roots and I'm taking them forward. We're on a journey and I'm taking them upward because we're, we're people who praise and worship and we're going outward to serve and we're going to go inward because we're pursuing wholeness and we're going withward. And he's like, I just made up that word, but we're going it together. And and I think we just spent time like really living into it. And I was so young and I think so taken by following your rabbi. And I, you know, I lived in Rob's basement for a year and I watched him and he took me to his counseling appointments. And he, I mean, he, he opened his life for me. And so I, I saw someone who really began that journey to break himself open and pour himself out. And I was learning just by osmosis and by Mm -hmm. my own, like, if he's going to counseling, I probably should. And beginning that journey. And so I think, you know, I, I remember moments when I'm like 25 and some of my friends from California are like, dude, who are you? What's happening? You know, and I just like, it's, 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 it's Mars Hill. Like I found community. I found a deeper sense of Jesus and the kingdom, a more compelling why. Like I, that, those early years at Mars were, um, I mean, some of the most transformative years uh, in my life. And I, I look back with such profound levels of fondness um, because it really shaped, I think, a lot of who I am uh, today. Your parents are coming to faith right at that point when you moved to Grand Rapids. Yep. Is that is that your spiritual trajectory as well? Like, are you just coming to faith at this point? No. <laughs> so I came to faith in seventh grade. Um, I was I was playing basketball, um, and I was my mom put me in a Christian school that's kind of like preschool through community college with a church attached to it. You know what I mean? And so I'm playing after school with some high school students and these high school students, I didn't have language for Jesus. I didn't language for the church or God. Like we didn't go. Um, But there were these two guys, Dominic and Nathan, um, and they went by the name Dominate, which is just awesome. And, um, <laughs> and like, I promise you, it's so amazing. These guys were like the funniest, like they were leaders. They were just good. They love sports. I just, as a seventh grader, I, I looked at them and I'm like, they run our campus. I mean, like, they're, they're amazing. I want to be like them. And one day after playing basketball, Dominic, who he now works in the film industry, is an amazing, like steady cam guy. Um, he, uh, he just came up to me and said, Hey Carter, you want to learn how to dominate life? And I was like, Sure. And he and Nathan started picking me up and taking me to In-N-Out Burger. And we're like, you know, the Shekinah glory of the Lord descends in burgerly form. And uh, we just like just started chopping it up. And um, six months later, I got baptized. And and then they were like, all right, you got to go after your parents now. And so like I was just this young guy. And my senior year of high school, my mom uh, said yes. And my uh, 19th birthday, my uh, in 99, my dad uh, – uh, I got to baptize him. So that's kind of the, the little trajectory of our family. Wow. Okay. So uh, timeline, you're playing basketball, Cal State Fullerton. You end up in Grand Rapids at some point. You're living in Rob's basement. Yeah. What, like, are you yeah. intern? What, like, what's your title there? Okay. So Cal State Fullerton's like, like 97 through 99 kind of stuff. 99, mm-hmm. we moved to Grand Rapids. I'm there nine months. I started out as a film major at Cal State. And then um, it's through Marcel that I'm like, I want to do this. I think I was created to do this. And mm-hmm. so I go back to Fullerton, but there's a Christian college right across the street. I start going there, uh, majoring in biblical studies, emphasis on preaching. Then in 2002, I graduate and I move into Rob's basement. 
Um, and so I'm there as an intern, then kind of step into junior high ministry. Um, and before I leave, I'm like overseeing my cradle through college, like in 2009. Gotcha. So, Gotcha. And so you go to Willow. Is that what's after Grand Rapids? After, after Grand Rapids in 09, I go... Uh, oh, you're going to California. Back. To California to Rock Harbor. That's where I was when I went to college. That's where I interned. And so I was there a few years. But while I was in Michigan, I, I got to know some, some people who uh, were on staff at Willow or from formerly on staff, and then um, went out to Willow in 2012. Got, okay. So I want to uh, start, uh, or I want to tell the story that you start the book with, which is just a, like, I love this story. It's okay. a perfect story. And so you're leaving Grand Rapids to go to California at this story. Yes. Right? Yep. And uh, your house, like you're about to sell it, but then the, the, the buyers like fall through and you're there, your wife, and you have a baby with like nine month nine old? Nine month old, yeah. Yep. Emerson. Okay. Emerson. So she just, just tiny little family trying to leave, can't sell a house, whatever. And these kids drop a big chunk of like snow or ice or rock or whatever on your windshield, cracks it. And then you like, you lose your, your stuff and you go chasing after these little kids. Yeah. I, you didn't say how little they were, but in my mind, I'm thinking like mm, nine, 10, like how old are mm, they? I think they're sixth graders. So, okay. but I don't, I can't tell. So it's, it's pitch black. And I'm driving home, and it's snowing, and then and our, our, something hits our windshield, and it like – I'm like, that's not snow. Somebody threw this. And I flip a U-turn, mm-hmm. and I get out, and I see something running in these fields that into a suburban neighborhood, and I'm like, I'm going to catch them. And so I, I start running like a wild man to try and catch them, um, and it, it just – it awakens so much of what was really stirring within yeah. Okay. So you get the moment where you, you chase them down. They're at their grandparents' house. You ask the grandpa, like, hey, do you have any kids? Or, uh, they're down there. Let me talk to him. Okay. In that moment, though, like you understand, oh my goodness, I'm acting like a crazy person. Yeah. But not everyone does. Like I, I was getting a haircut. I told the story on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Getting a haircut a couple weeks ago. Guy comes in. The, the person cutting my hair is wearing a mask and like acknowledges the person, but the person doesn't notice that the person who's cutting my hair, Morgan, says it like hi to him. So he just stands there for three minutes and then he goes postal. He starts yelling, never been this disrespect in my life. You guys disrespect me. This is important. This is how you run. Like he's like, I have like this fight or flight syndrome that's kicking. Like, I think I'm going to fight this guy. Like I'm literally thinking I got to protect Morgan and he just loses it. Uh, I have, I have an aunt who used to be a, a cop. She's retired, but she pulled this guy over one time because he opened his door and he was spitting. This is Texas. Like you just do this. And he was like spitting out his chew or whatever. And she's just yelling at this guy. And she realizes, wait a minute, he didn't do anything wrong. I just, I'm yelling at him. But like, she, she realizes in the moment, like I've lost my stuff. The guy at the hair place doesn't ever realize it. You realize it. W- what helps us like in these moments when we've lost it to go, wait a minute, I've lost my mind. I'm not acting normal. And you can make your funny joke. Hey, nice shot to the kid. Uh, my aunt can go, oh, okay, just don't do it again. But that, like the guy at the hair place, like I still think he might go get a gun and try to shoot someone. Like, I, w- What helps you just like stop in that moment? Yeah, you know, my counselor would say whatever's hysterical is historical. So whatever makes you like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? I, I've just given such energy to how furious – I could get or how triggered I could get, but why not just start getting curious? You know, and, and, and in that situation, that was one of the first times, Luke, that I was able to be aware of my pants are soaking wet. 
I thought I literally could jump that embankment and I didn't. And I'm freezing. And I, I see these two sixth graders and they look like scared little puppies. And I'm a junior high pastor. I'm teaching, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm teaching a junior high students. And so I'm like, what are, what are you doing, man? And it's just in that moment where, oh man, this is historical. Like I, I just, I just didn't trust the people who had backed out of our house and buying our house. They're, they're, they were gone. And my dad was sick and I was going to see my grandparents and I really liked Mars Hill and I didn't want to go. And I was kind of, I, I was saying goodbye after goodbye after goodbye. And I had no place to put that sadness. Better said is I didn't make space to place that sadness somewhere. And then these kids gave me the greatest gift, the gift to release all of that negativity and sadness somewhere. And so I think, I think I just was able to see it, um, in those kids' faces because of what I did Mm -hmm. that I think was able to bring me back to center that I could hear going, Hey man, what's really going on here? Um, so. Yeah. So the the rest of the story is you, uh, you reach out to your mentor who tells you the line that becomes the title of a book. Yep. Yep. And so I, I I reach out and you know, Rob just starts laughing and he, he just welcome to the thing beneath the thing, the endless discovery of what's really going on. And, I just thought that was so kind and beautiful and just, and that phrase just became something where, man, like my wife would just say, Hey, what, what's, what's the thing beneath the thing? What's underneath that? You know? And, hmm. um, kind of at a, at another point, there was somebody in California who just like rubbed me wrong and reminded me of somebody who deeply wounded me. And I remember coming home and just wanting my wife to have my back a little bit. And her response after I share what this guy did again in another meeting, she was like, isn't God so kind? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, isn't God so kind? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, hey, this guy triggers you and reminds you of some deep wound that you haven't had the courage to actually like get healing from. So he's just going to keep mm-hmm. bringing people into your life until you honor its truth. And I was like, get behind me, Satan. Like I just like yeah. – I was like – but it, it, again, it was just that sense of – why not be more curious when you get triggered? In- yeah. Yeah, that's fa- So the line in the book that uh, – I'm just going to read the line about that story. Your wife says to you, what may be buried that God is inviting you to resurrect so you can be wholly healed from it? What do you think? And then you go on and say, that was the day I began reframing my more challenging inner interactions with others by expanding them to include curiosity. How do you think curiosity can help in those moments? Yeah, I mean I think it's I think it's so important because again, my counselor, spiritual director says that you know, anytime we react, we're just reenacting the past. And so yeah. we're reenacting some some pain. We're reenacting some script that we were given. So I think when when we think about this, the curiosity is wait, 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 why is this taking up so much real estate in my mind or my heart or my body? Like what Mm-hmm. And if I don't give it attention, it's it's going to leak out somewhere. And if I yep. don't actually like, and I think part of it was like, I kind of just grew up in a in a in a generation um, that learned how to channel anger. Um, Steve Kerr, coach of the Golden State mm-hmm. Warriors, he was asked one time, "Who are the two most competitive people?" And he said, "Oh, that's easy: Michael Jordan, Steph Curry." He said, "But what makes them different is what motivates them." Michael Jordan was motivated by anger. He was going to channel every 
anger, hate to be better than you. But Steph Curry's chant, like is motivated by joy. And he's like, I get mm. to play. And I just think I was raised in channel anger, channel anger, channel that sadness. And I think for me to start to get curious about that instead of react and be some of the unhealthy version I saw in my father or unhealthy version I saw in some other leaders, I could just say, hey, I don't have to be that way. I don't have to reenact that script. We could actually rewrite and respond in a new and a healthier and more whole way. Yeah, there's a level of trust that that's underneath the surface there. I'm going to do a follow-up question, but first, Michael Jordan. Is he an Enneagram 8 or an Enneagram 3? Enneagram 8. Easy. Yes, that is the correct answer. Correct that is answer. the correct answer. Okay, so the, uh, I had, like, during the last dance, like, some of my, uh, like, oh. basketball preacher friends were like, oh, he's 3 or 8. And my three friends were like, oh, he's one of us. Like, no, he's not. No. Um, anyway, so to have this curiosity, there has to be a level of trust. And there's a line that you have in the book that like reflects this attitude of trust from uh, Thomas Keating and Mary. I've got no clue how to say her last yeah. name. Mordorowski. I call her Mary M. She's yeah, that's fire. what I would do too. Yeah. So here's a line. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me in this moment because I know it is for my healing. Most of us think not everything is for our healing. When you have that trust that it's everything's for my healing, you can be curious, you can be open. H- how do we develop that trust that everything is for our healing? I, that, I don't, that's a great question. I don't know if I thought about how do we develop that trust? I mean, I think I just, I think I just got so sick and tired of seeing me reenact. And I, I, I was really, really blown away that Sarah once said, um, just invited me into seeing that, Hey, let's get curious and let's lean into what this is. I come across this welcome prayer and I think that was super helpful language for me to begin to, Hey, do I welcome this experience as an opportunity to become more whole? Um, even if it's terrible, even if it's beautiful, even if, you know, the book sells really well or the book doesn't sell well, can I, can I actually receive it as an invitation for me to become the best version of who God intended me to be? And I think that piece of has allowed me to look at situations that of betrayal, situations where I thought one thing was going to happen and it didn't, um, situations where, you know, as a three, I care about my reputation. And then all of a sudden you go, wow, maybe there's something in the Beatitudes about that. <laughs> do I do I actually experience someone saying something on Twitter as part of my discipleship and formation? So all of this just began to almost create a a wider container for me to see the beauty and possibility of what wholeness can be. And Dallas Willard mm-hmm. says, you know, grace is opposed to earning, but it's never opposed to effort. And I think it's I the that. effort to actually welcome and have the posture to say. This is a gift, and it might not feel like a gift in a moment, but um, there there is something to learn from it and to become because of it. Yeah. Let me say that line again. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. I yeah. love that. That's so powerful. As you were just saying that, I literally leaned back in my chair and looked up because I had like this Oprah moment like, oh, he's speaking to me right now. I don't. I, it's hard for me to not think of some of life as an inconvenience that prevents me from getting to the good part of life. 
Sometimes I think like, oh, the, this thing didn't go the way I wanted. This thing is, uh, is an unwanted obstacle. And it becomes a deterrent that prevents me from experiencing like the fullness of what God wants for me. Like I don't ever articulate that, but the way I like I approach it, the way I interact with it, it's that way. But if you go, this is for my healing, that God is in all things working for the good, that um, you experience it a little differently. Uh, yeah, that one's going to bother me for a while because it's right. <laughs> That one's going to bother me. Partly because my water went out of my house yesterday, and uh, so that's, like, really annoying at this point in my life. But instead, like, see this as this is an invitation from God to to be four more in the image of Christ. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like, like that. that at all. <laughs> Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about something else. Okay. Um, you, you talk about—let's um, mm, do this one. You have this— uh, I don't. I don't do this as a parent, but maybe I could at some point. You tell a story of a friend uh, who, when he fell as a kid, mom gives him an Oreo instead of giving him a hug, and now like he developed like this unhealthy relationship with food. Which I'm like, that seems like a normal relationship with food to me. I feel like if you're upset, that's when you go to Oreos. Um, and I was like, okay, that's that's pretty real. But you talked about you took soda out of your diet. Yeah, and it absolutely wrecked you for a few weeks. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I like I uh, had a substantial caloric deficit for like a matter of like a couple of weeks, and I had like like you described in the book every Sarah McLaughlin dog commercial had me in tears. Uh, there are times like I was just crying. I was like, "Why am I crying? Why am I so upset?" It's just because I was like, "Oh, I'm hungry." Yeah, and you're missing something that I depended on for you. It was like Dr Pepper. Is that right, Dr Pepper? You took that out. What happened to you? I just felt on edge. I mean, I felt mm-hmm. like it, I, it's, it's funny is, you know, um, I can look at a lot of parts of my life where there's a, a sense of disruption, you know, so I step out of willow and there was stage and lights and opportunity with congregation and, and doing what I love to do. Um, I take away Dr. Pepper. Um, you know, you, you, you even had last year for a number of months, you take away travel or eating out or some like healthy escapes yeah. like sports. All of a sudden, you realize you're you're like an addict that's in detox, and just yeah. part of your body that had grown accustomed to this is what you do on Sunday mornings, or this is what you what you do at three forty five every afternoon to try and like wake yourself up and give you a little boost. This is what you do to kind of like numb the pain, and then all of a sudden, when you start to remove that and go, oh, is is Christ enough? On solid rock, yeah. I stand. All other things no. are sinking, Stan. And you're like, no, that's, that's not actually how I live my life. And I think I began to recognize, gosh, like um, there's something really, really beautiful and practical when you think about the Hebrew people who when Moses is up on the mountain, they get so worried and anxious that they have to like – they have to project their anxiety onto something their fear and their worry onto something. And so they, they create that, that calf, that golden calf. And I think I, I can do that all the time with good things. I can just co-op yeah. good as C.S. Lewis would say, or I can just escape. And I think then when I actually have to sit with my sadness or disappointment uh, and sit with my inner child, um, those, those are moments where it's like, oh man, like Sarah McLaughlin stuff is happening, you know? Yeah. And that's that, but that's, I think again, can I welcome Christ and the Spirit into that? That's that's been some of the the best parts of my growth. Yeah. You mentioned other things that other mediums that you could be attached to to find comfort in. And here's a list that you put off in the book. You said uh food, 
clothes, experiences, wine, sex, influence, opportunity, people, achievement, money, approval. I, I think many other, of us could just add a few more to that list of what it's for me. But as I hear that list, you start with food, then go to clothes, experiences, wine, sex. My question for you is, what kind of clothes are you buying that you rank them higher than sex and wine? Um, well, I think <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a great question. I think it's, it, it, it's, it's probably, you know, back in the day. Um, okay, so here's the big question. Here's the big question. One of, the things I, one of the things that my wife and I will talk about is like you do what you want to do. But the bigger question is why did you want to do it? Yeah. Okay, so like yep. you, you did what you wanted to do. You, you put that beautiful jersey on. And the question is why did you want to do it, right? So, but like I don't know if you've ever had this experience, Luke. Like you want to do something. But you know that your wife's not going to approve of it. So what's the way for you to get what you actually want? And you, you create a little fight with your wife. So there's distance. So that gives you the excuse to go buy the shoes that you already Mm -hmm. wanted to go buy. So I Uh think part of what I had learned is this is how you numb. Again, just from my family origin story, this is how you numb pain is you go buy stuff. And mm. so it was either with food or it was either purchasing stuff just as a healthy escape. And so you could rack up credit card debt, but at least you had yeah. those sneakers or at least you had that jacket. And it doesn't – again, it doesn't um, – we all know this. It doesn't, it doesn't hold for very long, but for that fleeting moment, it feels pretty good. Yeah. So Yeah, it does. There <laughs> – I quoted this in a sermon once, and I, I feel proud of it, but I'm, I don't know if I really feel super proud of it, but Taylor Swift has a song, uh, Illicit Affairs, and it came out, I think it was like the last album, and I rem- it came out last summer, and I was at the beach, and I was like, wow, uh, Taylor dropping some serious truth on you, but she has this line where she refers to this illicit affair as a dwindling mercurial high, Ooh. and I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's really strong, but like, I've never had an affair, but as I hear stories of people who've done this, like at, at first it was awesome and then it was good and then it was okay. And then like the experience like keeps dwindling and becomes less and less. And the same thing with, with whatever you're using to com- comfort or numb the pain that it just doesn't stay the same. It's not the same experience because it's not able to do what you think you want it to do. Orberg, Orberg says something once. He said, um, you know, all those, those escapes – those are um, will give you a feeling of peace in the moment, but they won't make you a person of peace long lasting. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's such a like, hey, you got what you wanted in that moment, just a fleeting escape. Yep. But it's not going to make you a person of peace, more of a person of, of escape. And I think yep. that's been one of those pieces of, man, how do I become a person of peace or a person of gentleness or kindness for the long haul? Yeah. So between John and Taylor, I think they got that pretty yeah, well described. John's John's co write with her. So that's I he he probably should because I think they do some great stuff yeah. uh, with some Dallas Willard influence, of course. <laughs> uh, let's talk about potholes for a minute. Yeah. Uh, Fifty thousand potholes like every two months in Chicago. What was the number? It was a hundred and eight thousand that they filled in in the first, I think, like ninety days of twenty eighteen. Yeah, that's just it's crazy. a stupid amount. Yeah. And so like that's like the snow and water gets down there and breaks up the concrete, the asphalt, um, whichever they choose. I assume they probably have asphalt on the bottom and the concrete on top of it. I used to work out with a concrete person. I know these things. Um, but you make a difference between a, uh, a pothole and a sinkhole. 
Can you explain what the difference is? Can you say that one more time? Because I think my internet yeah. crashed. I'm sorry. Yeah, in California, you don't, uh, I guess, have the internet yeah. very well. But um, <laughs> potholes versus sinkholes. Oh, yes. Two different things. Yep. So, again, like potholes happen um, and they're everywhere in Chicago. And the city of Chicago, actually, if you go to their website, they have a pothole tracker, which they literally show their work of where they're filling in these potholes, which is just amazing. But yep. potholes happen when you have this like water freezing. The concrete, the asphalt doesn't have the elasticity. It expands, creates this this hole in uh, the street. But what's incredible is when these workers come, they've got to inspect. Is this happened because of inclement weather or is there something happening underneath the surface, like some leaky mm-hmm. pipe? Is there something like erosion underneath? And I think in 2017, um, a 70-year-old man was driving in the city of Chicago and the whole street just gave way and there was a sinkhole. And – Literally, it was like millions of dollars of damage. This guy went to the What ho- happened to the guy? He went to the hospital. He ended up being fine. But like four cars like just sank down and like went down like a story and a half. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so like – so again, just this this sense of um, a little pothole but if not tended to correctly can easily and quickly become a sinkhole. And I think the same thing is true of our stories. You know, going back to my moment of madness of like – I had this pothole of I didn't trust that we were going to be okay, and I was afraid to leave Grand Rapids, and I was sad. And all of a sudden, one triggering moment almost turned a pothole into a sinkhole. If I would have caught those kids before I eat before they made it home, you know what I mean. And so, so we have these moments. Um, and so, I don't think anybody ever wakes up, Luke, and goes, "Today's the day that I'm going to sabotage everything that's good in my life. Today's the day I'm going to wreck my integrity." blow everything, you know, but I think it's little by little us not having the courage to look at those potholes. Yeah. Here's a line from the book. Uh, You say, maybe grace is allowing your potholes to be fully found out and beginning the beautiful struggle from brokenness to whole, holy, healed, and spiritually healthy. Remember, grace isn't opposed to effort. Grace wants to partner with you in renewing all things pertaining to your heart, soul, and mind. So here's my question. Some of us right now realize Okay, we've got, uh, we got some potholes in our lives, some things that have kind of bubbled up. Uh, but we can fix them. They're not that big a deal. But others, like we have this, this sinkhole that's been there. It's been like doing some destruction to our, to our soul for a long time. And we want to experience grace. And so you say grace is allowing your potholes to be fully found out and beginning the beautiful struggle, right? Help me understand, like, what does that beautiful struggle look like for me as I figure out I've got this substantial issue, you know, I'm buying the shoes, but it's never been about the shoes. It's always about something deeper. There's a pothole there. Like, how do I begin this process? Yeah, I mean, I think first start with curiosity, start with some some humility. I I, I would, you know, recommend um, either a, a very wise spiritual guide or wise mentor, counselor. Um, but I, I think realizing... I just grew up believing, man, if I didn't get a ticket and there was a police officer, I was like, that was grace. Whew, that was grace, man. I'm yep. like, I, I, didn't get, I didn't get found out. Now I'm realizing maybe grace is allowing you to be found out. And I'm like, we, we live yeah. in a culture right now like where for many of us who said yes to Jesus, we admitted I was wrong. And then we say yes to Jesus and we never know how to admit that we're wrong again. And I feel mm-hmm. like it's the constant reality that, there's parts of me that are in process. I mean, is it Ruth yeah. Bell Graham's like tombstone? Have you ever seen it? Um, mm. Says her name, says the day she was born, day she dies. And then underneath it says construction completed. Thanks for your patience. 
which I just love, you know, and it's just like, that's, that's it, you know? And so why not be the one that doesn't let Twitter find something out, but you're actually the one that says, Hey, this is, this is a part of my story and a part of my life. And I need people to help me walk more in the light. I think Tiger Woods, when he was found out by his wife was actually the best thing for him. And it, him welcoming that experience in actually could lead to a redemption story. So that's that's kind of the piece to it. It's like how do I just recognize this isn't shame-filled. This is just the reality that I have kind of collected a whole bunch of pain points and potholes along the journey. And for me to ever become who I need to be is not to bury them but to bring them into the light and walk in more grace and peace and, and belief that there's a new way forward. Uh, that's really good. That's really good. Uh, the book is The Thing Beneath the Thing. Uh, I encourage everyone to go get a copy of this. But before I let you out, one more thing for you. <laughs> I was getting my hair cut by Morgan uh, a week or two ago and uh, was wait, not being assaulted. You weren't being assaulted. This is second haircut no. reference, which I love, but different times. I, this is not the same experience yeah, I mean, or the same The same. I, I get a haircut every two weeks because I'm a Christian. I don't know what you think about haircuts, but I think cleanliness is next to godliness. So every two weeks I'm there. So it's um, wine, and, sex, haircuts for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, perfect. Perfect. So I'm getting a haircut uh, appropriately. And uh, Morgan says, say, what are you preaching about tomorrow? And uh, she goes, I don't know, I'm, but I'm sure there'll be a sports reference. And she goes, I've never listened to you and there's not a sports reference. And so I went home and I looked at my sermon for the next day and there's like four sports references and I felt very seen. Now, I've read your book. Like, I know you. I know you use a lot of sports references. And so I've, I know you don't think that's a shortcoming. You think that's a strength. I know that about you. So this is what I want to do. Uh, the pastors from Mars Hill, I think Ashley, uh, I don't know. Ashley Island. Island? Yeah. Yeah. Island. She's been on the podcast. Uh, Kent has been on. Shane has been on. Rob has been on a handful of times. Uh, am I missing anyone? Like, we'll put you in there. Okay. Aaron. So that's like five. Aaron. Nicholas. Aaron. Aaron's been on. Shauna. Yes. Uh, yeah. Shauna's been on. on. Okay. You're making you're making this like harder for yourself. But what I want you to do is give me the sports comp. I was going to do just those five like preachers, but let's go all all seven, including Nequists. Um, I, I need a sports comparison for each one. I was going to say basketball. Uh, you can pick a different sport if you want, but I feel like like a, a player comparison to each of those would be really helpful for our listeners. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So Rob, I'm going to go with Larry bird. Um, he was a, he like, yep. if you ever, if you ever play with Rob, he, he'll hit the baseline J nonstop. He hustles and he doesn't like to lose. Trash talk. Um, a little bit, but more like kind of funny. Like he's just like, he's just gonna, he's gonna, yeah, but he just, he's got that little Larry jumper from the side. He just mm-hmm. did, Little back problems, you know, so it kind of it kind of fits. Um, As a preacher, what do you think? Like, if you're making it like a preaching to sports comparison, Larry Bird still hold that up. Um, like as a as a preacher, if I'm trying to, like, yeah, that's what. We're, yeah, I want to like a sports comparison to their preaching. Okay, just just give me a give me give me your version of this because I want to make sure I'm understanding what you're trying to to say. Honestly, I'm. I mean, this is a ridiculous question that doesn't have a right or wrong answer. So I know as a three, you want to win this, but I'm a seven just trying to have fun here. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's okay. So as Rob, as a preacher, being the, one yes. of the best orators of all time. Yep. Okay. All right. I'm going to say he's, he's uh, Kobe. Okay. Um, because? 
the dude, so the guy was just the most disciplined person I've ever seen. He was disciplined. Like I think people just think it's like raw talent, and it is. I mean, he was just widely gifted. I've never seen anybody work harder on communication and respect mm. their creativity more than that guy. So I would say I'd say Kobe. And when he's locked in, I'll give it. To, I'll give it to him all day. There's nothing. Yeah. Nothing like. I mean, I meet people all the time who stop me and they're like, "Poets, prophets, and preachers changed my life." Or I met this this moment. Or you know, he just talking about everything spiritual too. Tour coming out, and you're like. All right, man. This, you know, it's just going to be something. I'll be there. Yeah. Yep. Good. Um, you got Shane Hips. Did you know Shane well? Um, you know, what's funny is uh, I got to know – I stepped out of Mars um, to go to Rock Harbor, but I, I recommended Shane. Um, and my mentor, Hal, took over for Shane at the church that he was at in Arizona. So it's kind of this weird like little triangle. Yeah. Um, Shane was like a savant. He's just really freakishly brilliant and very, um, yeah, just like at a at a different level. Um, and I, I'm thinking like it's like someone who um, can function by themselves, can interact, uh, a little standoffish at times for people. I don't mean that in a negative way. Just like he's just such a brilliant thinker. Like he just like Mm -hmm. could talk about Marshall McLuhan to some evil eye to some Jewish reference to Porsche and marketing. Like he just was Mm -hmm. just a um, a, he'd be like a a player that did a positionless player. So kind of like a KD kind of player. Like you 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 can play multiple positions. Kent was a soccer player, um, and he was feisty. and so there's part of me just wants to say Steve Nash. Uh, he was he, he just did like his own thing. Early Mars Hill days, he'd start leading worship, and the, his guitar would be out of tune, and he'd be like, "Ah, no, I'm gonna start the song over midway through the song. Just gonna start it over, tune his guitar, and say up from the top, and then sing it again." So he just did his own thing. Um, Ashley, Ashley's just like consistent. She's just mm-hmm. consistent. She is a um, fantastic writer, just consistent. Everyone wants to be around her. Um, who's just like a consistent bucket that's just uh, – and just super smart, sees things so well. Um, Who would you go with that? Just consistent bucket. Um, and just has joy at it, you know? I mean it's a little – it's 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 – it's not as intense as Dame, and it's not as joyful and playful as uh, Steph. Steph. It's somewhere in yep. the middle. It's like a, a combo of those two. You were describing Steph to me at first, okay. but uh, that's like just playful. People want to be around. Yeah. Just yeah. But she's no. so okay. committed. I think the Steve Kerr reference reminds me. She's just driven by joy and kindness, and it motivates her. So yeah, we'll go Steph. I'll I'll go Steph for okay. Ash. That's good. That's how. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, Aaron. Um, man, just cause we're good friends. I just want to make a joke here, but, um, I would say we, we would, we would have these epic horse battles and, you know, we text each other and be like, I'm up 173 to nine or, you know, we just, mm-hmm. but he, he was, he had a little sneaky little mid range game. You know what I mean? Just, okay. just like, okay. I'm going to get, you know, little, uh, little Steve Kerr, John Paxson kind of, you know, just like, okay. he'll, hit the open he'll hit the open jumper. Yeah. Um. Uh, 
Man. And Phil Jackson would have to tell Rob to pass him the ball when he's open. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's, right, that's right. Jordan Kobe cross-reference right, there. But okay, right. we're good. That's right. We'll give it that. That's right. All right, let's finish on Shauna. What you got for Shauna? Um, let's see. Who would Shauna be? Um, I mean, Shauna was going to be uh, like the party. Like She was going to be like everyone just wanted to be on that team, and she was going to make everybody better. And – she was going to make sure that everybody had what they needed. Um, she's going to be like a, just a great point guard, probably like a Chris Paul. Um, That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, minus the feistiness. Like she's not like feisty like like Chris is, no. you know. But just in the sense of, uh, you know, Chris is known as the point god. Like he sets everybody up. Um, she, yeah. she has she has that superpower to set people up, and um, you know, from my experience, I think the only problem with that comparison is I think she might be taller. Than Chris Paul, <laughs> that might be it's, it's the whole thing breaks down there. Yeah, just yeah, on height, yeah, totally. that, but everything else is perfect. Totally. Uh, you know, you were great. Like you went for that. I've, I appreciate your commitment to that. Some strong comparisons. Um, and for all you basketball fans, I know you loved it. Hey, so. Luke, I just need to know who would you be? Uh, wow. Uh, who would I like to be? Okay, who, I mean, who would you oh, like to be? I? This is a good self awareness test. Who am I? Who would you like to be? And who are you actually? You just cut out again. Because uh, California – say it again. Oh, who, who am I? Yeah, who would you like to be? And this is a good self-awareness. And who are you actually? <laughs> oh, <geez>. oh. <clears throat> uh, that's painful. Um, hmm. Can I can I switch sports? Because oh, yeah. I feel like – like I'm not as basketball as you. I would like to – like I want to support you with the basketball. Um, uh, there's an MMA fighter. This is going to be good. Oh, bro! Your like your pictures of you in the in the in the gym are some of my favorite on Instagram. I'm always like, this guy's nice, but he's gonna kill. I I see. Yeah, I really enjoy that. And uh, yeah, actually, I have my first jujitsu competition in two days from now. And I uh, yeah, l- this is gonna go out much later. So if I get smoked, I'm gonna cut this out real fast. But uh, yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy the sport. It's great. I wrestled in high school. And so, like, I'm not, like, a basketball guy, but I do, like, respect basketball as a supreme athletic competition. But um, there is uh, there's a guy who uh, from California. He's a surfer guy. You would appreciate that. His name is Luke Rockhold. He held the uh, middleweight title. Okay. He, um, he got beat by a guy that he definitely should have smoked, a guy, guy named Michael Bisbing, and he took his eye off the fight. I think he just underestimated him. And then he's been, uh, had like a handful of, uh, like injuries that have kind of derailed his career. And then he comes back and he moves up a weight class, fights this guy who's an older fighter, um, gets smoked by him. Uh, and this guy ends up being the two or five champ and has won a couple fights as a two or five chance at the time. We didn't know it. And so you see this guy who's like, he has the ability to do well. He's had a few tough breaks, but, um, he's still there. He's still ready to compete. I think he's got another run for the title on him. Dude, dude. I love that. Hoyas Gracie was my favorite. Way back oh, in the geez. day, bro. Hoyas, just on his back. Just I, like, just yep. get you, bro. Just get you. He, In a lot of ways, he was the guy who brought, like, jujitsu to the world. 100%. So nothing but love for yeah. him. Okay, then I'm now going to have to ask you the question. Who's your who's your comp? Yeah, I, you know, my friends and I, we joke about this. Like, not from a, not from a preaching standpoint, but from a, just a, a actual player standpoint. And people, mm-hmm. my, my buddy who coaches uh, at Purdue, he's like, you're J.J. Barea. You know, a little Dallas <laughs> reference. Like you're, you're I like that. You, you could be on the bench, but they'll, they'll, they'll want you on the bench. You could be on the floor. You'll get, you can show up and get 16, but like Every- smart, everyone wants you around. Um, 
uh, nothing great, but like the constant the crowd loves player. You. So I'm like JJ Barea, get me one of them jerseys. So yeah, I, I respect it. That's a pretty solid, humble move. I went with the guy who's a champion, so I feel <laughs> no, like that you, makes me no, you did. worse you than the person. guy who got beat and destroyed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like I wish I would have taken your route. It's far more uh, like endearing. But uh, hey, this is a fun podcast. I'm glad we finally uh, did this. Uh, so hey, and congrats on the book, man. That's awesome. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me and love what you're about and what you're doing. And um, grateful for you and look forward to actually hanging with you in person and seeing that jersey yeah. and those arms in the flesh. Right on, man. <laughs>